Right now in options action, the energy trade's been running at low power this week. The sector underperforming the major averages, but the professor is set to make the case that now is a time to get bullish. Plus, time to send your strong dollars on an investing trip abroad. One of our traders says you should be doing just that. Later, looking back at Apple's big week from the iPhone reveal to our big trade. And as always, it is Friday and we are taking your tweets. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Options Action Live from the Nasdaq market site. On the desk tonight, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Bono and Eisen joins us. Let's get right to it. The energy sector has garnered a lot of attention for the uptrend since the middle of the summer. But the chart master Carter Worth says it's been going on a lot longer than that and it's part of a bigger move higher. So, Carter, what are you looking at? Right. So to your point, uh, sort of a dull week for energy shares, the sector. But of course, it's the only one that's had a really good year, right? Up some 45 percent. Let's look at a few charts and figure it out together. The first is simply a, a relative strength line or a ratio, right? It's the performance of energy versus the S&P. And what we know, of course, is that energy having underperformed badly in 2018, 19, 20, has had a big 21 and 22. But that pattern in and of itself has all the hallmarks of a bearish to bullish reversal, bottoming out, whatever you want to call it. And I think there's more to go. Um, now, let's look at energy itself. The next is a five-year chart of the XLE, right? That's the ETF that matches the actual sector from Standard & Poor's. And we know that just in the beginning of this year, we were able to break out to new highs. We fell back to trend, and now we're reapproaching the highs. To my eye, that's set up well to break out and finally make, again, new highs. And then the here and now chart, third and final. This is XLE again. It's over six months. And what we know is you have a very well-defined minor uptrend in effect since uh, the June-July low. And we've bounced off that trend line well, repeatedly, and to my eye, we go higher. Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, I think uh, one thing we should say is that I think the days of uh, $50 a barrel crude are probably not on the near-term horizon for us. And when we look at XLE, the ETF, really it's a tale of two uh, stocks in particular, the two largest constituents, Exxon, which represents about 24% of it, and Chevron, which is about 21%. And when we look at Exxon, uh, you know, from their most recent uh, results, we see that they're operating very well. They are actually accelerating their buybacks at this point. So I think that's a, a good sign. And then when we take a look at Chevron, you know, this is a company that is trying to focus their, their time and attention pretty heavily on the Permian Basin. And why that's important, especially on the natural gas side in particular, is that they don't have the same kinds of permitting problems that uh, the Utica and Marcellus Shale have in terms of uh, building pipelines and getting natural gas out of there. They can, uh, just being in Texas, can if they're going to uh, ship out to LNG plants on the Texas coast. Uh, and, and we take a look at the overall sector. Uh, we're looking at and the price to cash flow. We're getting about 11 and a half, 11.8 percent, somewhere in that neighborhood. So very reasonably priced. And if we don't think that there's near-term headwinds for energy. I kind of like it. The trade I'm looking at is one that I often look to in situations where I think there could be some uh, downside potentially that I don't want to have exposure to. The November 71.80.88 call spread risk reversal, buying the 80 strike calls and financing that in part with the sale of the 71 strike put and the 88 strike call. The idea here is to get about 10% upside participation between now and November expiration while avoiding, uh, for the most part, 10% uh, downside. Uh, of course, this will behave a little bit like owning the shares of XLE would in the near term, but as expiration approaches, it's gonna look a lot more like that chart you see on your screen with limited exposure to the immediate downside. 
Well, Bono, and we know how you feel about XLE because it was your final trade on Fast Money. What do you think of Mike's trade? Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, clearly it's a high conviction trade because you are selling that downside put. But again, down 10%, I don't really know how much into a declining market that you believe is going to, as Carter said, kind of reverse to that upside makes a lot of sense there. Um, we've talked a lot about capital discipline, dividend yield, free cash flow, flow yield. All those underlying fundamentals also speak to Mike's point. I, I typically like the setup. Carter, what does the oil chart look like? Does it look the same or similar? Well, of course, oil is where the sort of uh, the beta has been. You get the spike in oil to 130 a barrel. Wall Street predicts 200. Of course, it goes exactly the opposite way. And then oil has collapsed. I like oil a lot. It, it's it's down. It's hated now. And I think it's uh, a lot of upside potential. Yeah, Mike, did you think about putting on an oil trade, an OIH trade? Yeah, so uh, OIH is different, of course, because it doesn't. it's not as directly exposed to oil. If we think about the integrated oil companies, they are essentially their reserves. So it is a more direct play uh, rather than taking a look at some of, uh, for example, the midstream and downstream companies, which have different uh, potential impacts. But I mean, look, we've got, I mean, the United States is the largest oil producer, but the second largest is Russia. That situation is not going to get immediately resolved. Oil prices have been depressed by releases from the SPR, and that eventually has to reverse as well. And we have seen uh, some decline in consumer demand. Certainly, transportation fuel demand is down lower than uh, it was a year ago. And actually, to some extent, as prices decline, we might expect to see some reversion to the mean here. So I think all of those things suggest that probably the weakness that we've seen in crude more recently is probably coming to an end. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, U.S. markets snapping a three-week losing streak, seemingly feeling a bit better about inflation, the Fed, and the economy. But as Bonwin reminds us, the rest of the world is still gripped by recessionary pressures. Bonwin, what are you looking at? I'm actually looking at IFA, and as you mentioned, there is kind of a tug of war between philosophically whether people believe that we're kind of on the precipice of a new bull market or declining market. And you know what? I'm not going to get into the inner workings of that, but what I will offer is if you are in the camp of wanting to own the U.S. market, I would look at a way to kind of balance that out in an area that I don't think there's much debate about whether or not they are in a worse situation, both from an inflation standpoint and from a growth standpoint. So I'm looking at EFA, which is pretty much your developed market, ex-US, ex-Canada. And what I'm doing is I'm looking out to the year end, the deck 30th, 60.55 put spread, which you can buy for about $1.20. Actually, going into the close, spreads came in a little bit, so it's going to be closer to a dollar here. But you're going to buy this EFA deck 30th 60 put for about 209. You're going to sell the 55 put at about 88 cents. Net-net, you're going to spend about $1.21. And what you're getting is protection here. And it's bounced off of this $60 level about once or twice. And I think we're going to roll over here. And what you ultimately are going to get is exposure, uh, uh, downside exposure to all of the um, geopolitical risks that are going on with Russia and Ukraine and how the nat gas situation might play out. All of that is kind of enveloped in this trade. And for me, again, for those that are bullish the U.S. market, you've got to take chips off the table somewhere. And I think this is a way to head your portfolio if you don't actually want to do it in the domestic U.S. market. Carter, how does this chart look to you? Right. So just to keep in mind, obviously, it has been an underperformer relative to the S&P. But if you were to look on a five-year basis, the correlation between the S&P and the MSCI EFA, it runs at about 80%. And what we know is it's developed markets, right? And it's Europe, Australasia, um, Far East. And so the issue is, is it... Um, 
is it better or worse, because that's what Biden was talking about, using it as a hedge, than the S&P at the end of the day? And on that score, on a pure relative basis, it is worse. It's worse. Bonwin, what would you say to that before we get to Mike? Uh, I mean, typically the U.S. domestic market has outperformed over any really time frame that you've looked at. So I tend to agree with Carter. I, I think it is worse. And that's the reason why I'm suggesting that you put on a trade that lets you profit if EFA rolls over. Yeah. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah. Any, any economic pressures that you think the United States is facing right now, Europe is facing them far worse. That's just the reality. And actually, mm -hmm. in developed Asia, they also have some problems, too, just demographically. So if you're going to be short any developed market, it's not the U.S. market that you'd want to be. So I think as a, as a hedge against a long U.S. trade, I like it a lot. All right. Still to come. A powerful rally over the last two months in the utilities. Can you profit from this power play? Stick around and find out. And for everything Options Action, check out our website and our newsletter. There's much more Options Action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Despite headlines of power shortages out west, utility stocks have had a decent summer run, and Professor Coe thinks there's a longer-term trend there to plug into. Mike. Yeah, so, I mean, just taking a look at uh, what's going on in, in the markets generally, there's a lot to like about utilities. Uh, for one thing, if we are in a rising rate environment, that means that you probably want to be in what we call short-duration uh, equities and utilities qualify in this area. They are a higher yield uh, by and large, nearly double the dividend yield actually uh, for the S&P. So that's an attractive element. Another thing, uh, we're entering a typically volatile time of year and the market is exhibiting significant volatility as well. And utilities tend to have lower volatility. That makes them uh, an interesting place to invest additionally. But an important thing to think about too is that you know our power situation in the United States is transitioning and it is transitioning to renewables it is transitioning to electric vehicles and as we think about that uh, really from an economic standpoint uh, in terms of capital investment in terms of tax uh, utilities are really the space that are most ideally positioned to take advantage of that now looking at xlu which is the proxy for utilities that i'm taking a look at now uh, I am bullish, but of course, it's kind of difficult, I imagine, given the outperformance that we've seen for people to chase it here. And for that reason, I was looking at using a call spread. Uh, I was specifically looking out to uh, November, and I was looking at the 7582 call spread. You'll notice that this one is slightly in the money. Uh, what that means is that you're going to have less of a standstill rate of decay because that 75 strike is actually away from uh, the current level of XLU. One quick point I would remind everybody of is that if you own XLU, you get the dividend. And if you own call options, you do not. So this is really a way to play for price action more than it is yield. But of course, if you own XLU, uh, you could consider just selling those 82 strike calls against it as well. Now, Carter, last night on Fast Money, you floored us with your stat on utilities versus SPX over time. Uh, sure, that was fun. Uh, let's look at some utility <laughs> charts, and we can, we can talk about that stat again. Uh, so 
uh, I have some XLU charts. We can roll through them fairly quickly. They're uh, what you've seen before, but I think they make sense, at least to my eye. Here's the first one. No charts, uh, no drawings. If you see the second iteration, um, I don't know if we have them there, but basically utilities are toying with the prospects of, of breaking out. So there you see it. Look at the next iteration, whether you call it a uh, a sort of a head and shoulders bottom, whether you call it a cup and handle, we can keep rolling through the charts. Um, it has all the elements of something that is poised to break out. But what you were referring to, Melissa, which is a, is a fascinating thing, of course, is that utilities are generally boring, right? They're low beta, they're conservative, they're safe, they're defensive. Um, after all, they have allowed rates of return, right? The government controls them. But the incredible thing is that if you were to go back to 1997, not arbitrary, 25 years, the S&P has doubled the performance of the utility sector. But if you look at the total return S&P and the total return sector utilities, they're dead even, which is very humbling for all of us constantly trying to pick winners and, and find uh, actionable things when riding utilities and reinvesting dividends has done as well as the S&P with its dividends reinvested. Can you imagine just put it all in, in utilities <laughs> instead Set of all it this wrangling? <laughs> and not to mention all the commissions, the fees that you're paying oh. to trade. <laughs> Bonwin, oh, what are these. your thoughts here on, on utilities in general and Mike's trade specifically? Well, I'll also add risk-adjusted returns are probably better as well. Mm -hmm. You won't have the same volatility that you will there as you will in the broader market. I think Mike's trade makes a lot of sense. I think on the surface level, you look at the risk-reward and you say, well, typically, I know Mike to look at one to three, one to four type of payouts. But again, he gave two disclaimers. One, about the, um, the dividends with the call, which I think is excellently done. Secondly, the fact that you have that in the money call. So considering that you're already two, two and a half dollars in the money, I think it's a pretty compelling risk-reward there. Um, and I think, you know, it's a low beta, cash flow positive, dividend yield positive type of uh, situation that you want to be in, particularly in this market environment. Mike, last word. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, really getting right to it, which is that you know over the past 25 years, this is not really a sector that we've thought of as having much growth opportunity. But there is no question that we are going to see a transformation in the way energy is delivered in this country. And this is really the industry that's going to be at the forefront of it. And regulated or not, uh, it's going to be a net beneficiary. All right, up next, with this week's iPhone event behind us, we're calling in our Apple trade from a few weeks ago. Find out what to do with it next. More options action in just a few. Welcome back to Options Action. In the middle of last month, Carter and Mike turned sour on Apple, not expecting even this week's iPhone event to deliver much of a pop. Since then, the stock is indeed down more than 5%. So Mike and Carter... What do we do here? Carter, how do the charts look at this point? Well, uh, yeah, so uh, it's kind of in no man's land, to be fair. I mean, if you do drop as it has dropped to the extent and magnitude that it has, uh, you really buy it just because it's dropped? That's no technique. At the same time, uh, stay short. It's come down a long way. I, I will say that it's important that, yet again, on a week-over-week -week basis, Apple underperformed. While it was up, what, 1.2, 1.3% on the week, uh, that's pretty poor compared to the S&P up 3.6, and compared to the tech sector, up 3.3. My hunch is to just leave Apple alone. Uh, it's not at a juncture where making a big bet makes a lot of sense. Mike, what do you think? So the, the trade that we were taking a look at for Apple uh, was a put spread. And it actually has run down to a level where it's fine to take uh, money off the table with that put spread. 
you know, I would say that the stock's performance this week, given the announcement that they made, is pretty poor. You know, you would hope that something like that would actually propel it to outperformance. It didn't. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be a buyer here, uh, despite the fact that it's been, you know, it's been tough to bet against this company for a number of years. I mean, a lot of investors think that Apple is the end-all, be-all when it comes, to, it comes to defensive stocks. It's got a lot of cash on the balance sheet. It's got a dividend. It's, a con- you know, it's, a, it's an executor in terms of you know, delivering Bonowin. And yet here we are. It does seem like it's more of an Apple-specific problem because of the underperformance re- relative to big cap tech this week. Sure. Uh, No arguing against any of those points that you've made. Um, I will say I'm probably going to agree with them, but probably from a a slightly different lens here. If you're owning the index or the S&P overall, you're already quite long a bit of Apple. So adding to that existing position to me and essentially going overweight the name doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't need to tell you that I think that the market is, you know, headed lower. I've been that way for quite some time here. I will say on a relative basis, yes, I like Apple a lot more than I like other pockets of the market. But again, that's a relative value trade. So if I were to buy it, I'd be selling something else. But here, just looking to own Apple, I don't really see a compelling reason to own it at this level or at these valuations. Mike? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the other thing is that in terms of valuations, this name, and I think we've previously mentioned companies like Microsoft that for a long time and undeservedly traded at big discounts to the market overall, it no longer does. And you really need to continue to see them execute, which the company does very, very well. But they do sell expensive products and consumers have been stretched. We are seeing some rising delinquencies in places. It suggests to me uh, you know, that they capacity, essentially, for consumers to go out and buy the latest and greatest, in this case, the iPhone 14, is not unlimited. And it is possible that we could see a disappointment. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they priced it where they did. Yeah, even if they're keeping prices the same. So, Carter, so goes Apple, so goes Big Cap Tech, so goes S&P 500. There's a bit of that, right? It's 7.23%, just a day now down to uh, 7%. Apple obviously informs the market. There's a lot of auto-correlation. So not so good for tech this week. Um, If you, in fact, look at the equal weight S&P technology sector versus the actual, it underperformed um, the actual. Tech is just not a place uh, I think you want to be overweight. Pockets, though, of tech, Bonowin? Are there pockets in tech that you like at this point? Sure. I mean, I I would say, you know, if you look at um, defense, certain cloud names, I mean, but here's the thing. The thing that will save you in tech right now in terms of performance is also the thing that can hurt you the most. Take a DocuSign, for example. That stock was down 50, 60 percent year to date before it got, uh, you know, um, revision in terms of guidance or, or a reaffirmation of guidance when people really thought this thing was going to roll over. So I'm not a proponent of going out and playing the highest beta pockets of the market. Yes, though, on the flip side of that is that is where you're seeing these one day to one week moves that can actually make your entire year. But that is a game of roulette. And we're here to make investment and trading decisions based on fundamentals and technical analysis. And right now, I don't really think that's supported in the pocket of the market that presents the most opportunity. With reward comes risk, and I'm unwilling to take that piece of the risk. All right. Up next, we're answering your questions on unexpected stock pops and much more. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take some tweets. Our first fan has a question about fertilizer. Are you feeling bullish, Mike? Yeah, you know, they often say that the biggest cure for high prices is high prices. And there are a few higher prices, really, than fertilizer prices right now. Urea, phosphate, potash, all very, very high. Of course, this company is not very high priced. If you think about it in terms of cash flow yield right now, about 20 percent free cash flow yield is what you're looking at uh, versus 2023 estimated free cash of about 4.1 billion. So uh, I do like the space, despite the fact I do think that fur prices are going to probably have to come down a little bit. All right. Our next fan asks key levels to watch for on the S&P 500. Carter. So many levels, and they're all key, I suppose. But uh, I would cite the following. There's an unfilled gap above at 4,218. That would represent a 3.5% rise from where we close today. And there is an unfilled gap below at 3,796. Um, both are, quote, in play. Uh, those are levels both to the upside and downside that I'd be very aware of. All right, final call time. Bonwin, kick us off. I think IFA put spreads make a pretty compelling hedging um, trade. Carter. I want to buy XLU utilities and I want to buy energy XLE. Mike Coe. Yeah, I like both of those. And I think you can use either call spread risk reversals or just call spreads to make those bets. That does it for us. Crypto Night in America starts right now.